0: morning, everyone. We are going to pray. Let's pray. Gracious Father, as we come to your word, we do pray that you would lead us, help us, help us to understand, help us to know, help us to see what you want us to see, learn what you are showing us. And grace and mercy, please be with us as your spirit leads us and helps us, enthuses us, convicts us, corrects us. Lord, in all these things we ask and keep me from error, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, we continue uh, to look at Samson this week, and it's part two, When Love Comes Crashing Down. When we left him, uh, Samson, uh, he had given the impossible riddle. He'd given it to the Philistines whom he had met because he'd gone to get a Philistine wife. He gave them an impossible riddle and the riddle was answered and he was fuming at that and he stormed off. And while he's gone... His wife is actually given to another one, a friend. All that Samson disobediently desires is taken away from him. His rebellion ends in great heartache and frustration. That's where we pick up the story. In chapter 15, verses 1 to 6, Samson's vengeance. After Samson has recovered from his brooding, he returns to the house of his wife, That's where father is, and he tells him in verse 1, and he goes to visit her, that he cannot come in. The father informs him that the wife that he longed to have has actually been given away to one of his friends. And he says... The father says he thought Samson hated her, in verse 2, and instead offers him his younger daughter. He says she's way more attractive anyway. Uh, Wow. (laughs) Samson does his lolly, so to speak. He's livid. Verse 3, I have a right to get even with you, the Philistines. Again, as we know, This is ironic. As a judge, Samson has been raised up to deliver the Israelites from the Philistines, but he doesn't want to be that judge. He doesn't want to do what God has asked him to do. And instead, in his wrong pursuit of a wife from an enemy, a place he's not meant to be, he is actually dragged into it. Dragged into the fight that he has avoided, and so he confronts them again. This is out of personal vengeance, he is love. It's a love lost, a heart humiliated story. Samson grabs 300 foxes and ties them in pairs. Now, this is horrible to hear it is cruel but this is what he does he grabs 300 foxes ties them in pairs and to each pair he ties a torch he then lights the torch and turns the foxes loose in the philistines grain field the result is in verse 5 all the standing grain the vineyards, the olive groves are all burnt down. It's a devastating effective plan, even as it is immensely cruel to the foxes, of course. When the Philistines ask who did this, they're told that it was Samson, the Timnite's son-in-law, because his wife was given to his friend. And when you hear that reply, you know that Samson's wife and and father and family are perhaps going to pay. And that's what happened. The Philistines go and they take revenge on the family of his wife and they burn his wife and her father and household to death. The wicked threat, which the 30 men gave at the wedding, you might remember from last week, is carried out anyway. Samson is ballistic. He loses it. At this news, in verse 7, he says, I won't stop until I get my revenge on you. And that's what he does. Verse 8, he attacked them viciously and slaughtered many of them. Then he went down and stayed in a cave in the Rock of Eton. The Philistines have shown what they are like, the abysmal treatment of Samson, his wife and his family and her family. And back in 14.4, we remember that somehow in this all whole giant mess which Samson has brought about because of his reluctance, more than that, disobedience, to be God's guy whom he has been called to be. The Lord is actually behind this whole sorry episode. It's taken a lot to get Samson to move at all. The Israelites find Samson resting is the next thing we're told. And they ask him, what are you doing? Don't you realise that the Philistines are rulers over us? What have you done to us? That's a surprising turn. And remember the cycle that has been going around in Samson. Here the cycle is breaking down. You're going to struggle to find the cycle in this whole sorry tale. And here... They no longer ask, the people of Israel, no longer ask to be delivered but instead have accepted their situation. They're not calling out to the Lord for deliverance. Instead, Samson is copying it for doing what he has done. They don't want to be rescued anymore. So in verse 12 They come to take Samson prisoner. They're going to hand him over to the enemy. They want him dead. We're going to give it. We're going to give them Samson. The Israelites take Samson and tie him up. He lets that happen because we're told they promise not to kill him themselves. And as the Philistines approach, they're shouting, they want vengeance. This is an angry mob. And then verse 14 happens. The spirit of the Lord comes upon Samson. He snaps the ropes that binds him. He picks up a fresh jawbone from a donkey. Remember, he's not allowed to touch dead things. And proceeds to strike down a thousand of them. Well, after you've struck down a thousand men with a jawbone, you work up a big thirst. Verse 18 to 19, we see a very important part of the story. Samson is thirsty, so thirsty and exhausted that he calls to the Lord and says, you've given me, your servant, this great victory. Must I now die of thirst and fall into their hands? At this sentence of these two verses, verses 18 and 19 of chapter 15, we don't know what to do with it. In one sense, we half cheer. Samson has finally called to God for something. It's the first time Samson has acknowledged the Lord in this tale. Samson is refreshed, his strength returns, and it's the first time not only does he call to God, but he also acknowledges who he is that he is God's servant. There will only be one other time that Samson calls out to God. Chapter 16 moves into the famous episode of chapter 16, verses 1 to 31 of Samson and Delilah. In the opening of verse 1, Where do we find our hero? What is he doing? Is he defeating the Philistines, leading the Israelites in righteousness? No. Instead, we find him in Gaza, a coastal city of the Philistines. And what do we find him doing? We find him with a Philistine woman, a prostitute. There he is, our great hero. Samson's ways haven't changed. The people there try to capture him because the Philistines, they've had enough of Samson. He's public enemy number one and then some. But he escapes, ripping off the gates of the city as he goes. Here he is, our great hero. Instead of being separate for God's service, he still seeks the company of the enemy's women. And so we're told he falls in love with another Philistine woman and her name is Delilah. The rulers of the Philistines, they come to Delilah and they offer her a bribe. They want to find out the secret of Samson's great strength. Then we have a very strange series of lies told to Delilah, and then, the Philist- and then the Philistines come and Delilah tells them and they come to get him and they think he'll be powerless. But he lies there she, and she passes on to the enemy. They come and then he bashes them up. This happens three times. She complains in chapter 16, verse 10, you've made a fool of me. You lied to me. Come now, tell me, how can you be tied? He tells her a falsehood. The same thing happens. The enemy comes, he explodes out of the blocks, and he gets them. But Samson keeps going back to her. Why? Why does he keep telling her? knowing that she will tell the Philistines and then they will come. Samson is a man totally in love with the idea of being in love. He should love his Lord. Instead, he loves the enemy's women. It's the opposite of who he was meant to be. In the end, it's one factor that leads him to his ending. She says in verse 15, How can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. Verse 16, with such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was tired to death. So he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head, he says, because I've been a Nazarite set apart to God since birth. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as any other man. Well, this part of the story sounds familiar, doesn't it? He's had another woman who badgered him. And this is not a comment on women, it's just what's happening in this story. It's actually more shows you everything about Samson. He tells her the true secret of his strength. Is his strength in his hair? No, it's actually the Nazarite vow that he has taken, the fact that God has set him apart since birth and has sent his spirit upon him to empower him with great strength. And here, for the first time, Samson acknowledges the fact of God's calling on his life. Samson's long hair has been a symbol all of his life of his special status with God. If Samson's behaviour makes us wonder all through this story of whether he realises who he is here, His own words remove any doubt. He's a man who knows what God has said about his life and yet has directly done the opposite, tried to do that, and he's done that through seeking women and love, the enemy's women and love Samson tells Delilah all his heart, what he knows to be the secret of his strength, it is the fact that he and God are together. His separateness to God, God has him. He is the Lord's. If he renounces that separateness, that he is who he is, his strength will desert him. Someone, Samson is, is always pictured in this tale as someone who acts irrationally in the grip of strong emotions. You see it all the way through. Everything he does, he does not act rationally. His supernatural strength in the end is the only thing that he has relished about his special relationship with God. And there... With Delilah alone, he seems to see his strength as the source of all his problems. It stops him from becoming like any other man. Samson doesn't want to be. He is. He wants to be like any other man. In some ways, he seems like he wants to settle down with the woman he loves, but he always chooses the wrong women his delaying tempting fake game is very strange but at the same time it is love play he knows that in the past the lord has overlooked his disobedience and come to his aid and one seems to be in the story that he assumes it will happen again his hair is removed while he's asleep on the lap Of the one he says he loves. The Philistines come. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free, it says. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. When he awakes, God's spirit has deserted him. He's captured. He has been the architect of his own demise. He's blinded and taken down to Gaza, gateless Gaza, <laughs> some any. In the story, very interestingly, Samson is always going down. If you look at it, for chapter 14, verse 1, verse 14, uh, sorry, uh, chapter 14, verse 1, verse 5, verse 10, verse 19, chapter 15, 11, And sixteen twenty two Samson is always going down, and his own downfall is the final climax of the story. He's in prison in verse twenty one, blinded, pulling a grinding whip to crush grain. What a pathetic figure he cuts in that verse. But verse 22 says to us, but the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. There are few more expectant sentences in the Bible than that one because you know what's going to happen. At the temple of Dagon, things reach their climax, and that's our next section from chapter 16, Verse 23 to 31, the Philistines set up a sacrifice to their god Dagon to celebrate the capture of Samson. Samson is brought out basically to perform. They're in high spirits and he cleverly has himself put near the central pillars of the building. Verse 27 tells us that the place, the temple is crowded, about 3,000 people. And in verse 28, it's there that Samson, for the second time in his life that we're told, and last time in this story, it is there that Samson calls upon God, the source of his great strength. Let me read his request from verse 28 to 30. Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me. O God, please strengthen me just once more, and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Samson reached towards the two central pillars on which the temple stood, bracing himself against them, his right hand on the one, his left hand on the other, and he said, let me die with the Philistines, and he pushed with all his might. And down came the temple, on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed many more when he died than while he lived. Samson's first call was to give him life. His second call to God is to give him death. And God answers both times. In his death, Samson takes up his calling to defeat the Philistines, to rescue the Israelites. God returns to him to achieve his purposes. God's spirit had departed from him because he wanted to be like anyone else. But God would not let him. He will fulfill the purpose for which God has chosen him for which he was born. In his defeat of the Philistines, he shows that the Lord has defeated Dagon. And if you go back to chapter 10, verse 6, by inference, all the other false gods that are listed there. But in this story, Samson, as we said, parallels Israel itself. Israel itself is chosen by God. It's set apart, separate for God, for a special purpose. But the nation has done everything it can to ignore that status, that relationship with God. And the story is saying God will not let his people be like anyone else. They will be his, and he will take steps to preserve them for himself. Samson's tragic fate makes us wonder, what will it take for Israel to come back to the Lord? It may be at a great cost, though it will be brought on them by themselves. As we've seen, Samson has brought this on himself. But God will pursue them, for they are his. To be with the Lord is life. Without him, there is no life. Samson is a frustrated man who runs away from being God's person. Yet in the end, he reminds us of Christ's faithfulness to us. We're a bit like Samson. We're all over the place. Sometimes we don't want to be who we were asked to be. But Jesus, God's own son, took on the promises that God gave to his people. Jesus became faithful Israel. As he walked in the desert, he was tempted to prove himself obedient. He proved himself obedient to God, unlike Israel. In the end, Jesus stands like Samson in the temple of the evil one and by his death the ceilings come crashing down. Jesus defeats the gods of this world, Satan and all his clunkies, and he liberates God's people. Jesus' death was there to keep us from being like other people. Jesus made sure that we would always be God's special people. He gave us his spirit that we might live for him and with him, changing us, transforming us into Christ-likeness. Samson, in the end, for all his failings, seems to be God's guy. God would not let him go. But his tragic life comes about because of his disobedience. Christ's faithfulness has held us exclusively and totally to our Father in heaven. God made him our saviour that we might know life and have it to the full. We might know life eternal and we might have it everlasting. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we realise that uh, Samson is a, a really strange tale but uh, he is someone who struggled and struggled against being who you've asked him to be, and yet you would not let him go. Gracious Father, we thank you that our Lord Jesus, and we praise him and worship him, that he was faithful to the very end, and his righteousness means that we too are yours forever. We have been forgiven, we have been purified, we have been transformed by your Holy Spirit. We thank you that you justified us and made us your people. Yet, Father, we realise we're also all over the place That so probably at times we have not been who we are meant to be. Please forgive us. We thank you that you hold us to yourself and you will not let us go. We rest in that. We rest in the fact that you are in control and we rest in your glory. For now and for Christ's sake we pray. Amen.